Support for today's show comes from Squarespace, because you are a Cracked Podcast listener. That means you're awesome. That means you have a wide variety of interests. And that means you're awesome. Saying it twice, because it's that true. Why don't you show off that awesomeness with your own personal website? You can showcase your work, blog or publish content, even sell products and services in just a few clicks. Because Squarespace has templates created by world-class designers that you can fully customize for yourself, and there is nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. So head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code CRACKED to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Cracked Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I'm also known as Schmitty the Clam, and I am also, also still waterlogged. It rained all of this month of March in Southern California, including on the night of our most recent live podcast. You are about to hear a small crowd that is incredibly badass at this live show, because they braved more than zero rain to do a thing in Los Angeles, which, as far as I understand it, is something no one does. They're amazing. You're also about to hear one of my favorite show topics of all time. The topic is little-known badasses of history. Incredibly heroic humans who ought to be famous, and we're going to try to give them all the podcasted credit we can. We've done this topic twice before, and this time is my favorite time. This episode is a banger. Some of the most hardcore badasses we have ever featured. It's also the most diverse slate of badasses we've done. And for the first time ever on this show, one of the historical badasses is an ancestor of a panelist. Family drama awaits you. It's going to be great. One other thing before we get into it, at the top, I am going to tell the story of Herbert Hoover's First Lady. And I really, really mean to feature this wonderful woman of history on the night I failed to say her name, which was pointed out to me by everyone. And I'm going to say her name now. It is Lou Henry Hoover. That was Herbert Hoover's wife and First Lady, Lou Henry Hoover. You're going to hear her story, and we're going to footnote an entire amazing biography of her, along with all kinds of other great stuff about all these badasses. So that's enough setup. Let's get right into it. Please sit back or continue lifting weights and teaching yourself battlefield first aid and and just like striving for greatness in your own life, man. You can do it. Either way, enjoy this episode of the Cracked Podcast with Emily Heller, Greg Edwards, Zach Bornstein, and our live UCB audience. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. Oh my God, you're such brave people. Thank you for coming to the podcast. Really glad to have you. Um, my name's Alex Schmidt, and I know uh, with the weather we're having in town, um, you're here at the Crack Podcast Live. You, you may be here just because it's the first building you saw, right? Like it was raining, and you were like, what happens in here? Let's find out. Uh, for those of you who know what the show is, uh, I think it's going to be a really exciting one for you. The main thing we're getting into is badasses of history. I think history is mainly known for being full of uh, plagues and wars and uh, disasters, and that's all there. However, there's also way more cool people than you've been told about. It's actually full of awesome people. For example, uh, you may have heard of Herbert Hoover. Herbert Hoover seems like a boring guy, right? He actually did like everything, and his wife might have been even cooler. He, uh, he was a mining engineer in like the backwoods of Australia, and then he was in China. He's our only president who's ever known how to speak Mandarin. And then his wife was an amazing woman who managed to get a geology degree from Stanford before the turn of the century. She was the only woman in the entire department, and then she was in China during a revolt and uh, working in a hospital, and she defended the patients with a pistol. She uh, was the first first lady to like address the nation and was apparently very good at it. And also she and her husband Herbert, uh, during World War I, like, they supplied aid to Belgium and helped feed 10 million people. You know? So, oh wow, it turns out the very boring depression president was a really neat guy with an even neater wife. Right? Isn't that cool? I think that's neat. And 
that's the show. We're going to get into amazing people from the past, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun on a fun Saturday. How does that sound? Should we bring out the panel? Applaud for them. Yeah. And, and we have a heck of a panel this month. We've got, we're so happy to have her. You've seen her on Conan and on Late Night with Seth Meyers. Uh, very, very funny comic. Please put your hands together for Emily Heller, guys. Emily Heller. Hello. <laughs> What's up? Uh, next up, you've seen him at the Improv and all over the rest of LA, and his uh, stand-up album is called Fuck You, Greg. Uh, please warmly welcome Greg Edwards. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> <laughs> we're all going to do that now. What's up? Yeah. Also, Greg brought a box of tissues out. Just in case. Just in case, <laughs> just you, in case you jerk off. <laughs> like what? <laughs> I don't use tissues. I use toilet paper when I jerk off. <laughs> I am a classic man. I'm a classic man. I'm not wasting <laughs> tissues on my cum. Only toilet paper. <laughs> One ply. You got, oh man. Oh man. You gotta <laughs> respect yourself. One ply? One ply. I'm old school. You know me. Oh. One ply. No, no, nothing more classic, right? Oh Come boy. On, jerk uh, off as soon as we get out of here. <laughs> it's a podcast. The audience at home won't know you're doing it. <laughs> You're right. You're right. <laughs> You're right. I will jerk off. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> let's uh, let's bring out the other panelists. Uh, you uh, you've uh, seen his writing everywhere from Jimmy Kimmel Live to The New Yorker to Saturday Night Live. Uh, let's put our hands together for Zach Bornstein, guys. Zach Bornstein. What's up? <laughs> Very formal Budweiser frog. Yeah, wow. It's like a gentleman frog. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm sad I missed the one-ply uh, masturbation talk. That's my topic. <laughs> it's dirty Emily. <laughs> what, do you, what do you have to say about it? Uh, I use several plies. But it's not to be cocky. It's just, it's, there's, it's just a, it's a pant. I don't get fully, like some people get fully naked, so you need... I thought this was a history podcast. I'm so sorry. I did not prepare my cum material. Who gets fully naked when they masturbate? That's the worst thing. Disgusting. Just pants at the ankles, like in a, like those old guys at the urinals at baseball games. Sure does. Let's uh, let's talk about some amazing people. The world is full of them, and so is time. And uh, as we talked about uh, people before this, um, Emily had brought up uh, the the actress Hedy Lamarr. Yes. <laughs> Someone in the audience was unanimous with me about Hedy Lamarr. What if she echoed you the entire show? Just I mean, that would be fucking knew tight. What you were saying. Uh, yeah. It would mean a lot of things about the space-time continuum, probably. Because uh, she's someone. I feel like she's famous, but not for the cool stuff, right? Yes. Because like she's uh, if if people know she's like a famous actress of the 20th century, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I remember like the first time I ever heard her name was in the musical Little Shop of Horrors when mm. the plant is trying to entice Seymour into like a life of riches and fame. And he's like, what do you want? How about a date with Hedy Lamarr? Like, and that's like in the song. It's like, oh, she's like a beautiful one. Like that's what you think. She's just like this sort of like sex object, which she kind of was like she was early in her acting career. She was, I don't know if the, she was the first person to ever like act out having an orgasm in a movie, but she was really famous for that. Like, she was in a movie pretending to have an orgasm. I mean, she was acting, but um, that was like, yeah. it was a movie called Ecstasy, and it was like really scandalized people at the time. And, what, and that was in the, the 30s or something, right? Yeah, Which, I like, think so. It was... Oh, she's hot. Yeah, oh. I mean, she was really... We're looking at her picture on Wikipedia she right now. She was so hot that plants knew about her. Yeah. <laughs> Even plants wanted to fuck her. Uh, <laughs> That's a nice eyebrow. Yeah. Everyone Planked back then had, like, I had, need had wild eyebrows. They're definitely drawn on. So but um, <laughs> They're like perfect arcs if you can't, if you don't have a yeah. photo in front of you. She was an actress in Europe, in Germany, but she was married to this guy who was like a Jew, but really into the Nazis, like friends with Hitler and stuff. And he was a jerk and she had, and he like didn't want her to be an actress. So she like divorced him and like went to Paris and uh, Louis B. Mayer 
one of the three people in charge of MGM. One Just, of the M's. One of the M's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He discovered her in Paris, convinced her to change her name to Hedy Lamar, like her last name wasn't Lamar before. She basically disguised herself as a maid to get away from her husband and move to Paris, and then she moved to the U.S. and started doing movies at MGM. But the thing that about her that's really interesting is that she kind of invented the internet. I don't exactly <laughs> understand how, but she... Like, during World War II, like, she was not into the Nazis. She wanted, she was, like, a supporter of the U.S., but um, she had a hobby of being an inventor. Like, she, like, tr kind of invented a new kind of stoplight, and she tried to invent, like, a carbonated water tablet that wasn't that good. But she was also, like, kind of dating Howard Hughes at the time, who was, like, a famous crazy rich guy who was doing a bunch of crazy shit. And he would sort of subsidize her inventing hobby. Because um, yeah, he like he was building planes, right? And he was yeah, uh, yeah. he was a megalomaniac. Um, <laughs> and in a science way, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so she learned that radio-controlled torpedoes, like their signals, could be easily jammed and causing them to go off course. Because her she had gained some knowledge about torpedoes from her first husband, she was like, "Why don't we create a frequency-hopping signal that can't be tracked or jammed?" And so she contacted a pianist that she knew, a piano player, to help her develop a device for doing that. And he did it by synchronizing a miniature player piano mechanism <laughs> with radio signals. I don't know how this works. Um, and then they patented it. And basically, this technology sort of laid the groundwork for the development of GPS, Bluetooth, and Wi-Fi. They all use sort of the technology that was developed as a result of yeah. that. I don't know how, but according <laughs> to the internet, that's true. I think I used all of those things today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and to also to hear podcasts. So thank you, Hetty. She fucked Howard Hughes. I think that's dope. Yeah. I mean, her and a lot of other people. Uh, <laughs> well, Howard Hughes fucked her. I mean, she invented coding, right? She was the first coder. Yeah. Pretty much, right? This is an unrelated question, but what do you mean Howard Hughes fucked her? Like, she fucked Howard Hughes, too. I, I just think it's more important that, you know, like, her fucking Howard Hughes isn't as cool as Howard Hughes fucking her. You know? oh, yeah. oh, give her, like, yeah, give her like, power. Yeah, yeah, like, like he's the one who has bragging rights because she's a so cooler like, person exactly. to have exactly. fucked. Okay, cool. All right. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was, like, yeah. a thing where it's, like, sometimes people are like, well, women don't fuck, it's the men who fuck. And then I'm like, well, how are you defining fuck? This is not a science word. Okay. <laughs> it's a gravity issue. <laughs> <laughs> going up or is it down? You don't throw a hoop at a basketball. <laughs> <laughs> you put your foot into the sock, not the... Because <laughs> 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 she really did. She invented military technology that helped uh, prevent torpedoes from being jammed, that also helped build the internet. And I also first heard about her from comedy bits in movies. Like there's that joke in Blazing Saddles oh, yeah. where there's a character named Head Lee Lamar and they keep calling him Hetty and it's a whole thing. I was like, oh, I guess she's just a bit. And I was like, oh, I guess she's just a famous actress. And then there's this whole other layer yeah. where she like helped the allies. You know, it's, well, it's amazing. Well, that was actually kind of a joke about the fact that she was known for suing people at a certain point in her career. I forget exactly how this happened, but um, that was the joke they were making, was like she had sued someone, and so they were like taunting her, trying to get her to like sue them. It's a wild story. It would be like if like Jennifer Lawrence like invented the atom bomb. <laughs> it was like a random, like very attractive starlet who then was incredible at winning wars with like yeah. military technology. I really think we're not holding Jennifer Lawrence to a high standard. I think that's just skating by, yeah, doing nothing for the Department of Defense. So she was kind of, I think, running out of money and. She was maybe doing some drugs, but her autobiography was written by a ghostwriter, and she just didn't really read it that much, but she sued the publisher because saying that a bunch of the details were fabricated by the ghostwriter because oh. it had a bunch of unflattering stuff in it. And so that's the lawsuit that they were referencing by, <laughs> by uh, in Blazing Saddles calling a character Hedley Lamar. But, and it's like if our most famous scientist was mostly famous for like, 
getting mad at waiters or something. You know, like some guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, he, he figured out DNA. It's like, yeah, but you should see him at Chipotle. Man. <laughs> He'll fly off the handle. I mean, that's the thing. If you ever use the internet to illegally download Blazing Saddles, it's like ah. a slap in the face to her because it's like you're using her technology to Ooh. download a movie oh, making fun God. of her. There was another, it's, it's like a World War II related thing. I think, Zach, you brought up Daniel Inouye, is that? Yeah, is that? Inouye. Yeah. I feel like no one ever knows who's in Congress. Oh, uh, yeah. It turns out some of them are cool. So he <laughs> was yeah. a, he's a senator. He was a senator until 2012, unfortunately. He passed away. Uh, one cool thing, he was the highest ranking Asian American in U.S. politics still to date. But more than that, he has a badass military history. He was in this uh, battle in Italy where they were trying to take this hill from the Nazis. And they were trying to flank them when all of a sudden three machine gunner nests that were in like bunkers started open firing on them. He dropped to the ground and he, they all like were crawling up. And then he stood up to throw a grenade at one and he was shot in the chest. Uh, and he started bleeding out and the people tried to save him, but he, they, he was like, no, stay back. And he threw the grenade into the first nest and then shot them with a Tommy gun and destroyed it. And then he was bleeding so much, his men were like, you got to stop. You got to, you got no blood. And he, <laughs> <laughs> but he kept going and he destroyed the second nest also with a grenade. He was like a grenade guy. Uh, I thought that was his weapon of choice, was just grenades. But the third nest was the craziest. After the second one, he had kind of like passed out from blood loss. And uh, his, tr his like troop, is that what you're I, I don't know, I wasn't an army yeah, guy. Yeah, unit or something. Yeah, it's unit, yeah, there yeah, we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> troop. His Boy Scout troop kept... Uh, oh, that's very disrespectful. Uh, thank you, everyone, for their service. Who's listening? Who's there? Um, so he woke up and started crawling along the ground towards the third one, and uh, he had one grenade left, and he propped himself up to throw this grenade, and while he was cocking his arm back, he got shot in the elbow with like a big bullet and his arm like severed except for like it was like holding on by like strands but he had already pulled the pin on the grenade so he's got this like he like had no more control over it and his guys were like yeah and uh I, I don't know what they said but i'm guessing that was the that's a, probably a safe guess <laughs> yeah. so he was like no stay back this could explode but then he with his off arm which is insane because i can't do anything with my arm he pried the grenade from his like useless hand and then threw it with that hand into the nest and destroyed it and then there was one guy left and he picked up his tommy gun and it's described that he did a one arm like that and just finished everyone off I don't uh, know if that sound effect will communicate to the people just listening to the podcast what gesture you just did. It was like a, imagine you were introducing someone to like a ballroom. <laughs> you go, like, like your like arms crossing. It's like in uh, Willy Wonka, <laughs> in a world of your imagination, sort of like sweeping across. So he did that, but for murder. Uh, and... Uh, his as he, then he kind of <laughs> fell unconscious, and as he was being carried away, he apparently said, "Nobody called off the war." That's why he kept Damn. going. Uh, and then to this day, like if you look up pictures of him, he's just like adorable looking. <laughs> like he looks so sweet, and he doesn't use like a prosthetic arm or something, but he still has like very crisp suits. So the arms are still there, but then there's just nothing on that side. The story almost sounds like too perfect. Like maybe it was. I don't know, it helped with the Senate run and he fudged some things, but he, he based on this this story, I mean, he just sounds like a, a, a psycho, but who was <laughs> successful at it. <laughs> yeah, when you have the Nazis as enemies, I feel like that's motivating. Yeah. And he really yeah, ran with uh, it and, and he was an incredible hero. He was, yeah. And then we got to have him as a senator for decades. He was a very good senator, too. He was very progressive and, and yeah. championed some good causes. Hawaii. Hawaii, yeah. That's also another thing where, I don't know if you guys have read Chris Hadfield's book, The Astronaut. Mm -mm. Uh, he's a Canadian astronaut, and he decided he wanted to be an astronaut before Canada had a space program. Uh, right? Cool. So, like, his dream had, among many other obstacles, our country doesn't even do this yet, you know? <laughs> and I think Daniel Inouye was born, like, before Hawaiian statehood, and, and you know, like, oh, he, really? he, I, uh -huh. it just, it would be hard to be a senator from not a state, and then he, he like, got that ring, you know? It's great. Brass yeah. ring. They, they don't, like, wed you or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, but he was beloved, and like at his funeral, like there's like photos of like Obama crying and stuff, which I think is the nicest thing that can happen at your funeral. Is if Obama, <laughs> Obama cries. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. I mean, you definitely don't want him showing up dry-eyed. A <laughs> <laughs> little smirk. Yeah. And sweatpants. Just like, I just came to see that it was done. <laughs> <laughs> he looks uh, up to this guy and winks at a drone. <laughs> yeah, I can see him throwing a grenade. He's, I mean, he's hella cute, though. He's so cute. We're looking at pictures right now. Yeah. I want to do another World War II person, because it's just, it's just fun to beat the Nazis. It's just the best. Because um, we're not doing it now. <laughs> uh, we're losing to them now, and it's good to remember a time when we beat them. <laughs> this guy, his name's John Paul Stapp. Do you, does anybody know John Paul Stapp? He, uh, this was a flight surgeon in World War II, so his job was to provide medical care to, to like pilots and flyers, you know? And at the time in the 1940s, we like didn't really know a lot about what flying does to the human body. Like We were just kind of still figuring it out, as we often are in ears. And so he said, we need more information about how the body feels when you put it through like terrible, crazy physical forces. And so he just like did it to himself with a big rocket he built in the desert. He what? <laughs> he decided to, he was like, I'm just going to put my own body through all this crazy stuff. And then I'll know how to take care of like US airmen better. That's the thing I'll do. And so he set a land speed record. He went 632 miles per hour. The record today is only 763. So he was pretty close to where we are now, just with the thing he decided to build, you know, in, in a desert. We thought the limit that a human body could take was 18 Gs of deceleration. He went up to 35. He also did one experiment where he broke his back, arm, and wrist, and lost six fillings, and went blind for two days. And then his response to that was to go faster. He was like, I'm just going to build a bigger rocket and try harder and learn even more. And then he lived to 89, and we still use the stuff he came up with for taking care of airmen. Oh, he lost six fillings from his teeth? Yeah, so also apparently he had a lot of feelings. <laughs> this guy didn't brush. Also, who's this dentist? He loved Jolly Ranchers. <laughs> that must have been one of the things where he was like, okay, I'm writing down that note. I, I didn't expect my feelings to come out. That wasn't one of my guesses of the weird shit that was going to happen to my body. <laughs> his wrist was broke, so it was just all in his lap. <laughs> right, right. Dentist was just putting him in with tape. <laughs> How does it come out? They're like in there. They're like bone in there. I don't know. They rattle. I've had some. Yeah. I've had fillings come out before. Really? Yeah. Not all the way, but just enough to be uncomfortable, and then I had to go get them. Yeah. I didn't know that could happen. From yeah. like, don't feel safe. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> don't trust your fillings. Yeah. Every day, push them down. <laughs> There's a history of, I feel like, medical experimentation for uh, usually things being done to other people. And this guy was like, no, if I'm going to know how to help people, I'm going to just strap myself into the biggest <laughs> rocket I can construct. I'm going to do it. Yeah. It was like the LSD guy who invented LSD and then just like took it so much of it to like... Yeah, that's a little different. <laughs> He's trying to help other... I guess he was yeah. trying to help other people too, but really trying to help himself, right? Greg, you brought up somebody who... Uh, they just got a New York Times obit this week when we're recording it, but they died in 1992, and uh, their name is Marsha P. Johnson. Oh, man. Um, and this, per this person's amazing. I feel like we're also, as far as knowing about history, like just starting to study people in the LGBTQ community and movement that is very recent and great. No, I mean, uh, I think Marsha P. Johnson puts the T in the LGBTQ community. You know, trans, like the transgender community, I feel like they don't, they don't get as much love as everybody else in the LGBT community. Right, right, right? People still, yeah, yeah totally. They were kind of told to wait their turn yeah. for a long time. And well. I feel like with Marsha, like she's like the, the woman that kind of like sparked everything. Like uh, I watched her uh, documentary, it's a documentary on Netflix, The, Di the Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson. Uh, she started the 1969 Stonewall Riots, Happened in New York. Back in those days, uh, gay and transgender people couldn't even go in bars, so she was hanging out at a bar. Police raid happened. She was like, fuck this, I'm fighting back. Molotov cocktails are thrown, fire happens. 
bullets start going the next day there's like a, a pride march and that's what basically yeah. started uh pride and everything yeah, and, uh, yeah. it was like the, the gay yeah. freedom parade it was the first and then that turned into the what we now know is like the the pride parades oh, people awesome. call it like the rosa yeah. parks of the lgbt movement yeah, yeah. the stonewall yeah. right like she was the through the first rock at the stonewall riots or something oh, yeah dope lady and she died in 92 they found her like in a river and everybody was like, she committed suicide. But like the Stonewall bar was like very mob related. And she was like, look, it was hard enough being black back then, but she was a black trans woman. Mm. <laughs> she must have been crazy hard. So it was a lot of police mob uh, conspiracy theory that they got, she got murdered by like the cops and the mob and stuff. And it's still going on now. People are still trying to find out information about it. But it's a real interesting story. Do you know what she had? Did she have like bullet wounds or anything? They said she had like a huge like uh, wound in the back of her head. Oh, but you don't do that to yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Right. You know, <laughs> but it's super heavily covered up. But um, yeah, it's an awesome uh, documentary. The Stonewall Riot, like that's such a foundational event in in civil rights history, like it's like being the first person to fire a shot at Lexington and Concord. So like it's it's such a thing, and, and this person is somebody I'd never heard of until you told me about her. <laughs> oh, really? I feel like a lot of people learned about Marsha P. Johnson when the movie about Stonewall came out because they were like, uh, hey, why did you make this movie about Stonewall but change the main character to a white cisgender yeah. gay man? Uh, when oh, in reality, yeah. yeah, it was like, oh, that, that movie was very poorly received. That was, I think, when a lot of people learned about her because they were like, hey, this is who this movie should have actually been about. <laughs> when it, it seems like she had a tough life, too, like trying to work for these things because she was homeless for a lot of her life. That New York Times, though, but they say that she engaged in prostitution and was often arrested. She stopped counting after the hundredth time, she later said. Yeah. And then the, this is a line in it. And was once in the late 1970s even shot. Yeah. And then they just move on. So, like, she had such a tough life that she got shot and that's, like, a line item. And they, like, they, it's couldn't, not like... they couldn't elaborate <laughs> in her obituary because there was so much more to say. Right. There were just so many other things she was yeah. dealing with. And, she was, and like, super famous back then, too. Like, she modeled for Andy Warhol. Like, she was, like, a super big star. But she had mental issues, too. I mean, you know, being out on the street that long. Her and Sylvia Rivera started, like, the Star Hotel where they helped, like, homeless and trans youth uh, have a place to live, and they funded it through sex work. Just a, you know, just a bad chick. Hella bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, let, and let's keep looking at New York, too, because if we go back another century or so, uh, Emily had picked out Madame Restel, who I guess her real name was Anne Lohman. Yeah. Uh, but this is someone from 1800s New York City. Yeah. Which was maybe maybe a harder city, too? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it's never been an easy place to live. Yeah. Madame Restel, she was like an extremely notorious New York character, uh, also very famous, also kept being put in jail or being like arrested. But she was a professional abortionist. And this was like, it wasn't even illegal yet, obviously before Roe v. Wade, but it was also before they really even started cracking down on it. Um, she was born in England. When she was 16, she married this like alcoholic and they moved to New York when she was like 19. He died when she was 21. And so she was left alone with a baby. And then she ended up remarrying this guy who worked for this printing press that printed like uh, radical thinkers, including like the first book ever advocating for birth control. And she was working kind of as a midwife anyway, and so she got really into that, and she basically started, she kind of pretended like she had studied it more than she had, but she started a business selling patent medicine and creating like birth control products at the time, which like they called preventative pills and female monthly powders. Um, <laughs> a lot of abortifacients at the time were made of just like combinations of herbs and stuff that were supposed to make you just sort of like cramp up and like expel the baby. And they did do surgical abortions at the time, but uh, too, but they're different than, than they're done now. But like when she started doing it, they weren't really illegal. Like it was only surgical abortions were forbidden. And that was only after the quickening, which is when the woman started to feel the fetus move around four months uh, into a pregnancy. But she was just like incredibly successful. She was like a very popular businesswoman um, and she uh, attracted a lot of like copycats. There was a lot of competition. And then that drew the attention of the American Medical Association, which officially 
started the campaign to make abortion illegal for the first time. Um, to, to make it illegal. Yeah, it was oh, like, wow. because of yeah. the work that she was doing was so popular and spreading so much, like that made medical professionals or the American Medical Association decide like, oh, we should start cracking down on this. And like her name became kind of synonymous with the practice itself. Um, and so they started trying to like basically put her on trial as much as possible. Like women would come forward and say that she had given them tuberculosis or like that she had sort of adopted their children out from under them, which she might have done. She was just like a businesswoman. She wasn't like a women's rights act- <laughs> a- advocate necessarily. <laughs> She's um, yeah. having abortions for the cash. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she she was doing abortions for the cash. She would charge oh a God. different amount based on how rich you were. <laughs> like for most people, she was charging around like a hundred dollars, but for like really rich people, she would charge them like a thousand. Like that money. Yeah. <laughs> At the time of her death, she had like twenty million dollars or something. She was like one of the wealthiest people. definitely one of the wealthiest women at the time. The woman who claimed that she had gotten tuberculosis, like she at first was convicted, but then she got acquitted because she was like, I'll pay money to anyone who can prove that what I'm doing is dangerous. And then they overturned her conviction. Well, and also, how do you prove tuberculosis chain yeah. of events? Also, it's, it's the yeah. past. Everyone has it. Also, <laughs> yeah, around. in the 1800s, you it's know? like, how do you know this was caused by this and not just, like, the fact that we're not really bathing right now <laughs> right. or, like, <laughs> the gross, unrefrigerated food we're eating? Like, how can you really pinpoint any... Um, yeah, I've read old books. Someone coughs in a handkerchief once, uh, yeah. and then you know they have it. And yeah, then, it's just around. Yeah, and the exactly. whole town gets it. She gave yeah. me TB and she took my baby. <laughs> <laughs> she ended up serving a year in prison and then when she came out she kind of like scaled her business back and like didn't do surgical abortions anymore but like had like a boarding house for women to sort of like wait out their pregnancies but she was still known as like the wickedest woman in New York and there was this guy named Anthony Comstock who was like a moral reformer he was trying really hard to kind of basically tell people that sex was bad he didn't like sex and he thought everyone was wrong to enjoy it uh, that little was the dick, vibe little yeah. dick. <laughs> the vibe I got I get from reading about him is that he sucks. Uh, and um, like he uh, in 1873, Congress enacted the Comstock law named after him, which made it illegal to discuss or distribute anything considered obscene by the government. And he posed as a customer looking for birth control pills and like basically did a sting operation on her and then brought the police the next day to have her arrested. And like right after her arrest, uh, she was found in her bathtub with her throat slit. They say that she did it herself, that she had slit her own throat, that like her maid discovered her. Um, And then yeah, at the time of her death, she was found to be worth the today's equivalent of like 12 to $15 million. Wow. Yeah. which is kind well, of crazy that that's all it took to take her down, but I don't know if there could have been other stuff going on. The sting operation. That must have been the most awkward sting operation. Just one dude being like, I'd like your most evil birth control pills. <laughs> Just for me. And she was like, yeah, I guess so. I guess I'm going to give you. <laughs> no restrictions. It's for everyone. I mean, I think like a lot of the objections that people had to her work was like a lot of people, a lot of uh, men were sending their mistresses to her. Mm-hmm. And so they saw her as sort of like aiding and abetting like adultery um, because she was like helping them to cover up their affairs and stuff. And so yeah. she did have a lot of male clients because they were the ones paying for her services. Hope she mm. charged them more, right? I, ho- I hope so, yeah. 300, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> it's your third time. <laughs> Just as far as her wealth goes, like I feel like that's society's fault that she got so rich. Like if you drive any thing that people need underground like that, yeah. then a crazy oh, yeah. illicit business. There's no regulation of, of her like if it was a, a safer business to conduct, then <laughs> the, you'd right. have more reasonable pricing. Yeah. She's like the Pablo Escobar of abortion. It's just like no one else is doing it. Yeah. So. Yeah. And at, at one point, it was like she was listed kind of as like a tourist attraction on like tourism information. Because I think people would travel for her services, but also because she was just like this really extremely notorious person. 
People had the weirdest tastes of tourism. Yeah. The best. <laughs> Family vacation, you go see cats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. get a deli sandwich, and then you go to the abortionist. Yeah. You go to Central Park. <laughs> but yeah, she went, like, her name was uh, was Anne Loman, but she went yeah. by Mendam Restel, which was, like, named after, I think, the fake doctor that she told people that she studied under when she went to Europe. It was, like, a story that she and her husband had concocted together. Oh, she had, like, canon. Yeah, oh, and, yeah. and so her, her business was, like, <laughs> Madame Restel's, like, birth control powders or whatever, like, and, and <laughs> they would, at the time, they were, like, her and the other abortionists would advertise in, like, newspapers being, like, do you want to regulate your woman times? Like, they had to use a lot of, like, very flowery euphemisms for what it was they were actually doing. Support for today's show comes from our friends at Squarespace. Because, hey, maybe you're ready to start a new business. Hey, maybe you're ready to show off your writing. Hey, maybe you just love websites and love the internet. You can fulfill all those dreams and more with a website from Squarespace. They have beautiful templates created by world-class designers. You can also customize everything about that template. It starts as a format for everyone and becomes a format for you. Your site will also be optimized for mobile right out of the box. You might be listening to this podcast on your phone. That's because people do all of their interneting from their phone these days. Your website will look good on those phones because it's a website from Squarespace. You can also use their analytics to help you grow the site in real time. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. And if you do have a question, Squarespace's award-winning 24-7 customer support is there to help. Because it's time. Let's do it. Let's build you a website. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code CRACKED to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com, offer code CRACKED. Let's go way back. Let's, <laughs> let's get way history, history, history. Uh, that, that's how people phrase it. Let's go um, way history, history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Zach, you, you brought up as we were emailing, is it pronounced Kutaloon? I believe so, yeah. Uh, who's from the 1200s. Very yeah, history, history. history, history. Almost history, history, history. Kutaloon, <laughs> I don't know a ton about her because there's not a lot of info, but the info that's out there is pretty kick-ass. So she was the yeah. daughter of a Mongol ruler in the 1200s, like Marco Polo times. Like Marco Polo wrote about her and stuff. Her father is this big ruler, owns all of Central Asia, and she had a lot of suitors, but she was also a very good warrior and didn't like any of them. So her rule was that she advertised was that whenever anyone would ask to suit her, and she said she would marry any man who could defeat her at wrestling. <laughs> and if you, <laughs> yeah. Or, and if you lost to her, you had to forfeit all your horses to her. <laughs> and uh, and she, they say that by old age, she had over 10,000 horses. Oh, my God. <laughs> so also, it's like if you show up to, on the day to wrestle her and she just like rides in on 100 horses, you're probably just like, ah, oh, fuck. No. I wish Serena Williams would have did that. You know? <laughs> Stop marrying that chump. She'd have such a big ranch. <laughs> so it's unclear. There's no evidence that she was eventually married, but there's stories. The best guess is that she married this handsome guy who was an assassin hired by a sultan uh, to kill her father, who was very handsome, but then got imprisoned. And while he was waiting to be killed, she fell in love with him. I know. What? <laughs> a murderer, aww. <laughs> That's not a romantic story. Why are you? <laughs> must have been hot. It must have been real hot. Maybe she just really hated her dad. <laughs> see that. She was like, you're going to kill him? That's extremely attractive to me. <laughs> uh, so she sounds awesome. Yeah, she was uh, the daughter of Kaidu who was a, 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 there was a whole Mongol empire at this time, and then there was like a divide, divided chunks of the world that were run by different Mongols, and uh, Kaidu ran Central Asia, and then his cousin Kublai Khan was in China, and then she apparently led Kaidu's army in Mongol versus Mongol wars, which yeah. have to be the toughest wars, I would imagine. This is, you know. They gotta be so loud. Yeah, yeah, all the horses, you know, whinnying yeah. and stuff. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I set that up for like, you know, I was in a Mongol war. Like that's not, no one has a story. Go on. Uh, <laughs> and, and also just any female ruler from before like, I don't know, the 90s? Amazing. Like, there were so few. It's great. I just like it wasn't a sword fight. It was just straight rustling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't know what rules they were using back then. It was probably, like, to the death. Or like. Yeah. I, w- I wonder if it was also just, like, a sort of a sneaky way to just kind of, like, feel around on their body and be like, do I want to fuck this guy? <laughs> like, she could beat anyone, and then, like, she's like, I'll decide while we're groping each other if it's a match. <laughs> it was their chemistry on the on the wrestling. Yeah, and just get the smells fit. going. <laughs> right, it was a time of baggy clothing. So yeah. how else are you gonna? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You don't know what people are packing. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the the idea of thinking that you're going to a guy who's like, I want to marry this woman. She's incredible. She's the love of my life. <laughs> and I'd be like, I'd like to marry you. She's like, wrestle me. And if you lose all your horses. And I'm like, I think, I think I'm stronger than you. And then you, instead of leaving with like being like king of a kingdom, you leave embarrassed and with no horses. Yeah. Which is you like have to current. walk away. <laughs> yeah, you have to walk home. Is that where the phrase walk of shame comes from? <laughs> <laughs> I also I'd like to think she's a, she's a good investor, you know, because if you're winning horses, those make more horses, you know. That's that's the original compound interest. Yeah. This sounds like a Settlers of Catan game, honestly. <laughs> well, and let's uh, let's let's do more history, history, history. This is uh, someone from the 1700s. Uh, Greg, you brought up oh. Marie Joseph Dite Angelique. I can't pronounce anything French, this but I, I assume that's a long name. Marie Joseph Dite Angelique. Ooh. Hey, that sounds perfect. It's not. Parlez-vous français? <laughs> non. <laughs> uh, this was a bad chick. Uh, another, another time I'm going to say that. She was a slave uh, that went from Portugal that went to Montreal in the 1700s. And she tried to escape Montreal with like her white boyfriend that was an indentured servant, this dude named Claude. They tried to escape. They got caught. And uh, Claude went to jail. And Angelique just act like, you know, like, hey, I didn't make it up. Claude decided to do the whole thing. And then her owner was like, you know what? I'm tired of this chick. We're going to sell her to uh, the Caribbean. She was like, hell no. You're not going to sell me out there. They doing mad work. And so uh, she waited for Claude to get out of prison. Claude got out of jail, and they just burnt down half of Montreal. And then they got caught again. Well, she got caught. Claude, like, during the whole burning, Claude escaped uh, because he was white. And uh, <laughs> she got caught, and she wouldn't rat on Claude, and they hung her. And uh, yeah, that's it. Oh my it. god! Yeah, was well, she had already kind of ratted on him before? I don't think so. I no? think she was just down, and she yeah. just liked that white dick, <laughs> and, uh, and she didn't she didn't rat him out. Why did they burn down the city? Was that like they were like this is all? No, I think they only tried to burn down. It was like some left eye shit, and they tried <laughs> to burn down the house, and like half the city just got uh, caught. Oh. You know, it's old times, and yeah, yeah, everything's flammable back then. Yeah. Yeah, she, she it's looked cute in pictures. <laughs> <laughs> the pictures they drew of her, she looked she looked like uh, a little bit like Missy Elliott, you know. Mm-hmm. What Claude look like? Claude, they made Claude sort of look like uh, George Clooney, but I just think you know that's just how they drew him. <laughs> Didn't everybody yeah. look like George Clooney back? Well, I can't, probably not. I probably can't not. imagine either of them sitting for portraits. It sounded like they were really busy with a lot of uh, well, kind of stressful <laughs> shit. They did a quick character in the park. <laughs> Let me paint, paint me like you paint your French girls. <laughs> I'm from around Chicago, and part of the legend of Chicago is that all of Chicago burned down at one point. It's a whole thing, like, uh, and, and there's, like, one water tower that survived, and it's a landmark, you know, and everybody's way into it. And I feel like I should have known that half of Montreal burned down, like, for freedom, you know? That's yeah. a cool story. That's yeah. an amazing thing. Yeah. yeah. And love. Not just and love. love. And love. Love and freedom. Some interracial love. I wonder if it was, like, one of those things that they don't publicize because the city of Montreal was, like, kind of shitty about it at the time. <laughs> like, they're like, we're not actually that proud of what we did. <laughs> totally. A lot of people don't think, like, uh, Canada had slavery and shit. People don't even know that, right? Yeah. yeah they had syrup, hockey, and slavery, guys. Yeah, all at the same time. <laughs> when did they end it? 
I don't know. I think they ended it before us, for sure. Because we would brag that we ended it sooner yeah. than them if they did. Yeah. And it's honestly like the fact that I don't know when they ended it is because they're too polite to brag yeah. about how much sooner they ended it before us. We're going north to Canada. Nah, dog. We got to go way further than that. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, uh, this is one from the Cold War. Uh, this is, it's, it's in a cracked article. It's called Five Badass People Who Stood Up to Infamous Dictators, which is always a good time. And it's uh, by, uh, I should correct the others, Pat Carnell and Eric Yosemono. There was, at one point, a Soviet Union, right? And it wasn't a good thing. So there was a, a leader of it named Leonid Brezhnev, and in 1968, his Soviet Union was kind of running a lot of different countries in Eastern Europe, and one of them was Czechoslovakia. And the leader of Czechoslovakia was a man named Ludvik Svoboda, but he was sort of like a, like a made-up puppet president. Like he was not actually in charge of anything. And when he was 73 years old, he set up a meeting with Brezhnev, who was running the Soviet Union, and he said, you need to release these 26 political prisoners. I'm sick of them being in prison. And then Brezhnev said, no, I run the Soviet Union. I'm going to do whatever I want. And so then what Svoboda did that no one else had thought to do was he pulled a gun on himself and pointed a gun at his own head in the meeting, which I don't know if you guys have done that in a meeting. Uh, <laughs> he pulled the gun on himself, and the, the quote that people have recorded is he said, if I kill myself, my blood will be on your hands, and no one in the world will believe you did not murder me. And then the prisoners were freed like a few hours later. Whoa. Because he basically, he like artfully blackmailed the leader of half the world uh, in a meeting with a gun. I'm going to start doing that in negotiations. <laughs> Three more percent on the back end of this. <laughs> or you're going to jail. <laughs> Let me know if that works. <laughs> yeah. Twelve episode order. <laughs> I feel like someone's going to call your bluff. Uh, <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> right, because your next step can't just be like, never mind. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I I feel like the Cold War, there's a lot of stories of just this implacable Soviet Union that can't be stopped. And then there was a very clever old man who, who uh, totally, totally got the goat. Really great. Stay in 20th century. Um, uh, Zach, you brought up a story oh, yeah. uh, from, your, from your own family. Amazing. Yeah. My great-great-grandmother, Frida, is an extremely unknown story. Uh, so <laughs> she was born in Lithuania. This is like 19, early, like early 1920s. And this is when there were Cossacks. Do people know about Cossacks? They're like pre-Nazis. <laughs> like, before Nazism was like the full-fledged thing that it became, there was like a lot of like Nazi-ish. It was like the alt-right of Lithuania in the 1920s, <laughs> it, but it didn't, it wasn't under the great Nazi they were, umbrella. Weren't they, weren't they like mm -hmm. mounted soldiers and involved in like pogroms against Jewish people, something like that? Yeah, they were killing yeah. all, they were doing Nazi stuff pr before, they were the original Jew killers. Well, not the original, original. They're the but. people in like Fiddler on the Roof who come at the end and <laughs> make them all leave, I think. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I should I, know. Fiddler on the Roof yeah. ends with a pogrom, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so it's probably think, those people. I think there's also like an animal version in an American tale, I want to say. Like oh, yes, they, the they cats are Cossacks. Yeah, oh, an American yeah. tale. It's the, the yeah. old country, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, the American tale syncs up to this a little bit. So my great-great-grandmother, she finds out that Cossacks are coming to kill her and her three children. So she gets into a horse carriage, and they're going to the docks because there's some boats, like uh, like shipping boats, going to America. And while they're in route, Cossacks come behind them, and they start shooting at the carriage. And one of the bullets goes through and kills one of her kids on the way to the docks. Ugh. Then they make it to the docks, and it's her, and now she's only got two kids. Uh, and she only had enough money to afford two boat tickets. So kind of a Sophie's Choice thing. But what she did is she was very clever. She had her boy, my uh, great-grandfather, Harry. She was wearing like those like early 1900s oh. style, like very wide dresses, the like very oh, big the, frilly like, dresses. The like frame underneath yes. it. Yes, yeah. yeah. Like, and she had Harry, her son, who was very little, walk under that as they yes. were getting onto the boat. Like straight up like what kids do in like a trench coat. Yeah. The only I was thinking she was going to stack the kids on top of each other and pretend it was her husband. <laughs> so it was like, remember in like the prestige where the guy has like the fishbowl between his legs? 
That's too deep cut of the a reference. Prestige? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one, uh, the, the magician they're looking at on the street, and he's walking bow-legged. Yeah. yeah. He, like, always walked fake bow-legged so he could hide stuff between his legs. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. she walked fake bow-legged onto this boat uh, to hide Harry. Uh, and nice. then the other kid just got to walk normally. So they went in, and then they were—they only had enough money to be in like the steerage with the animals and and what. So it was a very gross ride over. They were just like with all the manure and stuff. But then uh, th- that became why I live. So wow. I'm Round very thankful. For that. Come on! Oh man, you guys are nice. Which one of which one of her kids are you descendant? Harry. Harry, the yeah. one who was between the legs. Yeah. 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 I feel like the other one probably wouldn't tell that story as much. Poor. <laughs> <laughs> Embarrassing for yeah. him. <laughs> just got to chill and yeah. <laughs> waltz onto the boat. Thank you, Zach. That's incredible. This is a. Uh, there's another uh, World War II thing here. This is about people fleeing the Nazis because of the Holocaust. Yeah. And there's a, a priest. He was Père Marie Benoit, and he was a priest in the south of France. And uh, France was occupied, and it was becoming clear that the Nazis were going to do terrible things to the Jews in it. So what he started doing is he started using his monastery that he lived at as just like a clearinghouse for getting Jewish people out of the country and printing them fake documents and setting them up Mm -hmm. with fake passports, fake visas, fake baptism certificates, and just claiming they were all Catholics and getting them all out to Spain and Italy as best he could. And he ended up smuggling over 4,000 Jews out of occupied France. I bet he was so pissed when the movie got made about Schindler instead of him. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like he was probably okay with it. (laughs) He doesn't seem like that kind of a guy. He's very petty. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck Schindler. (laughs) Right, like, I made lists. (laughs) I made lists, I made charts, I made all sorts of logistical materials. (laughs) Apparently he... In the process of this, they started running out of money to fund this operation, and they were like, oh, we need money to make fake documents to help people. And so they just started faking money. He just, <laughs> he just set up a good <laughs> counterfeit operation. And so on top of docs, he was also like printing fake cash in this uh, <laughs> like religious building that he lived in. And then also tried to get the Pope involved to help him and got a meeting and actually set it up. But then because of like Nazi troop movements in Italy, they, they, he ended up not being able to get the Pope's help and having to do like even more himself. Greg, you brought up somebody. This, this is not related to the previous person. Uh, Jane Elliott. And anytime we can talk about Iowans on the show, I'm very excited. That's where, my, <laughs> that's where a lot of my family's from. She's still uh, alive, too. Uh, Jane yeah. is dope. She's like this 88-year-old uh, white lady, like a former uh, professor, and uh, she's a teacher, and like I guess she got motivated after uh, MLK got assassinated, and it just really pushed her to like uh, start talking about racism. Uh, she started this test called the Brown Eye Blue Eye uh, Experiment, where she goes in the classrooms and she just separates people uh, that have blue eyes and brown eyes, and she treats the brown eye people like gods, and she treats the blue eyes people like shit, and she just basically trying to talk about racism. This chick is bad, though. Uh, just fucking Google her and YouTube her. Uh, she's been on Oprah like five times. That's more than Michael Jackson. Uh, she's, just, she's awesome. She's just this little old lady that really confronts people about racism and just gets people riled up. People hate her. But I just love her tactics because that's the only way it's really going to work out. There she's, are yeah, she's really awesome. like interesting videos of how the experiments go. Like They videotape the kids talking about it, and she asks them questions like, how do you feel about yourself? now like after we've done this and the blue-eyed kids are like I felt really bad <laughs> it's, like, it's really interesting to watch I just love she walks into a classroom and she'll say hey uh, does anybody any white people here want to trade places with black or brown people and nobody says a word and she was like alright well you know what the fuck is going on right, <laughs> <laughs> right? and it's just like I just uh, I just eat popcorn and just watch it I just, it's, it's great this experiment she does with the kids is pretty intense yeah. like they they, re, they act out like prejudice in a very uh, t- tangible way and apparently it was pretty necessary because like a few of the people in the, in the community were like hey this is too much for kids to handle but most of the people who opposed her in the community were like why are you helping black people which is like oh no 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 you could. <laughs> <laughs> apparently this is why like, oh you missed yeah, the point right. yeah <laughs> 
I think it's about around the time. If you have any badasses of history or amazing people of history you want to tell us about, just give us your name and then we'll uh, hear Hi. about it. Hi. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my name's Liz. Um, hey, Liz. I literally have like a list of like 12 people that I pulled up on my phone <laughs> that are like just epically fascinating people. Um, a lot of literary figures and like social justice figures and ma- mainly women. But one person I wanted to mention was um, a woman named Afra Ben. She huh. was a playwright uh, during the Restoration Era of England. And she was actually the first woman in the English language to make a living writing. And she wow. wrote a play called The Rover that was like this huge smash hit play. You know, it, it had sex, it had like, it had everything a Restoration audience would love. Like she was trashing Puritans, like fuck Puritans. And there was lots of love triangles and it was at Carnival and it was just amazing. The Restoration is that like 1700s? So what or? happened was basically Puritans were like, we're taking over the government. And then that went on for maybe like less than two decades. And they were like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Puritans came over here. Puritans were super puritanical, obviously, and they were like, no sex, no drinking, nothing like that. Theater is for fucking whores. It was just really bad. So then when the Puritans <laughs> got kicked out of England, they were like, we are going to party. Um, and then yeah. you got Restoration Comedy, which was very, it covered all the things that Puritans were trying to like suppress and censor, like adultery, sexuality, Catholicism, you know, just all those kinds of things. <laughs> so when the Puritans were gone, they were like, we are going to just have a great fucking time. So Afro Ben was a very pop she wrote a play it was a giant smash hit and it was like the summer blockbuster of that era and in the restoration period i mean it wasn't like this now where the audience is trained to like shut up and listen like people were just talking to each other it was like you had to literally do everything possible to get the audience's attention to pay attention to like focus on you because it was like a networking event like you were like a secondary the actors were a secondary thing and she got a lot of shit for it because it's like women shouldn't be writing about sex all those kind of things and she basically (laughs) wrote and afterward like listen nobody would be complaining if a man did this at all but she's epically fascinating and Virginia Woolf is actually you know the great female writer said like you know she's the reason why we have a voice as writers like she was the one who gave women permission to step up and be writers because she made a living off of it too and she was a spy as well whoa for who she was a spy for england because the restoration i think that's referring to it's restoration of the monarchy right yeah restoration of the uh a a turbulent enough time in english history where they were beheading kings they beheaded a king then they had other people around the country and then they restored monarchy so like it was a a wild time and she was being a a a working female playwright yeah she was a spy first for like charles ii then she got thrown in a debtor's prison and then her friends bailed her out, and then she oh. became a then she became a, a playwright and a, a translator, and she just wrote like prolifically. So she's an amazingly cool literary figure. So Afra Ben, that's awesome. Thank <laughs> you for her. Well, uh, give a hand to Liz, please. We got we got uh, someone else. Oh, What's hey, your yeah. name? I'm James. Hey James. Uh, this isn't a person, but it's just kind of a weird moment in history. Um, sure. You know, we think as Westerners of the Crusades is like this really evil thing in our history, like this just kind of ridiculous thing that we did for several centuries. But it's also really stupid at one point, like in addition to being evil. So ostensibly, the Crusades were, we're going to go defend the Holy Land from those Muslims that are down there. Really, it was because knights just were like killing everyone, like just killing all <laughs> the peasants. And the popes were like, we got to get these knights out of here. So they're like, go Holy Land, sure. And so they did several crusades going and defending the Byzantines, which were essentially the Romans, the Eastern Romans, but they were separated by like 800 years, and so they were all wearing perfume and just were different than the Romans we think of with the togas and stuff. So all these like smelly peasants and knights and everybody comes over, (laughs) and on the fourth crusade, they just got bored and sacked Constantinople. Like, the people that they were to help, they were there to help. So it's like, we're tired of fighting Muslims. It's hard. We're just going to take over this city. And they took it over for, like, 80 years. And I just imagine, like, smelly peasants in there, you know, oh, hey, look at this gold. Look at these frescoes. Like, just running wild in Constantinople for 80 years so until they crazy. finally took it over. So they just got bored, you know, on the fourth <laughs> time. And, and there were more crusades after, so they kept sending people because the knights kept killing people so that's just fascinating to me that we're help, here to help the Christians but nah. but also let's just take a city for a while <laughs> yeah you know let's hang out like just 
smelly guy wearing a crown and look at me. Like, when you first came up here, I was worried that you, because you were like, a lot of people just think of the Crusades as evil. And I thought you were going <laughs> to no. be like, but I'm pro-Crusade. <laughs> Crusade apologist. But then you were like, no, they were also stupid. I was like, oh, okay. That makes more sense. Needs more study, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Fourth Crusade, look it up. It's really freaking crazy. Yeah, James, that's amazing. Hey. One time for James, please. Yeah. Like, I... I want that to be, be a thing, too, where, like, you know, if you're on a road trip or something and you're like, ah, we got to stop for just gas or snacks or, like, stretch my leg. <laughs> like, one guy needed a break. And then they were like, well, now that we're in Constantinople. <laughs> now we own this mobile yeah, station. <laughs> <laughs> Liz, you, not to put you on the spot, I think you said you had more people. Do you want, do you want to talk about one more person, Liz? We got, we got a little bit of time. Yeah, yeah. You guys were referencing World War II because was, it was a fucked up time, but fucked up times, like, that's a great opportunity to be a hero when things are terrible. So there was this woman named Odette Hallows. Um, Odette Hallows? Yeah, so Man. she was tortured oh. for the location for D-Day by the Germans, and then when she broke, she gave them the wrong, she on purpose gave them a fake location. Um, yeah. And it was planned. Like, she knew what was <laughs> going to happen. Like, she knew, like, you're going to go in, you're going to get tortured by Nazis for days on end, and then when you have your, your moment of weakness, your, your break or whatever, you're going to give them the wrong location. And because she didn't give in, because she stuck to the plan, the Nazis got the wrong location for D-Day, and they fucked up, and then we were able to win the war. So, you know, because she was able to have this incredible endurance for pain, wow. um, and she yeah. survived being in a concentration camp. So this woman was just like, she's just a fucking superhero. I mean, I can't really fathom it, but like, thank you for being yeah. you. I mean, We may- owe her a great Odette. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. <laughs> Your joke did not ring hollow. <laughs> so it, I, I, I just love examples like that in history because it's it's refutes the idea that women are like somehow like just fragile or, or something. It's like no, 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 no. It's like the yeah. crucial military victory that defeated fascism at that point in history was because this woman. Uh, was like, you know what, they can torture me. She literally said, they can torture me, they can kill me, but my dead body will be useless to them because they will never have me. They will never break me. So it's Man. like, fuck, I'll tattoo that on my forehead. Like, that's mm-hmm. very inspirational. Um, <laughs> yeah. So she's great. one of my personal Man. heroes. One more time for Liz, okay. for another amazing person. Especially talking about World War II, people are like, and the women, they helped out in factories. And like, <laughs> that's cool, but also they were like spies and torture fighters. Yeah. And they were amazed. And also inventing the technology that protected yeah. torpedoes from being having their signals jammed. <laughs> this is, I guess, like a group of people we could talk about as being badass as well. There, there was a whole operation, because we're talking about D-Day and, and World War II, there were many operations to fool the Germans into thinking that the invasion was coming from other places or happening other places. And there was a military unit of artists who made like a fake army in North Africa. Like they they painted big pieces of wood to look like tanks from above. And there was like a lot of fake troop movement and they created radio chatter to seem like there was a whole group there. And it was all to fake the the Nazis out and think the invasion was coming into Sicily. So there was like a whole team of guys who just like loved to paint. <laughs> I'm then, just picturing like in Home Alone when Kevin has like <laughs> the fake party with the Michael Jordan uh, cardboard cutout going by the window. That's why that thing was invented where, you know that like costume where you have like a row of five people and you all like oh, yeah. walk in a line together? <laughs> that's, uh, that's what defeated the Nazis. What was the name of that crew? That troop. <laughs> that was the UCB4. Yeah. <laughs> Folks, that is the episode for this week. My thanks to Emily Heller, Greg Edwards, Zach Bornstein, and our live audience for reminding me that our past is full of incredible humans, which makes it pretty much a slam dunk that our present is too. There's good people out there. It's good to remember that. And if you enjoy Heroes, you will love our food notes, where you will find a wealth of information about all the badasses from this week's episode. You'll also find a fact that needed checking. On stage, we were guessing that Canada abolished slavery before the United States. We guessed right. 
What happened is that Britain's parliament passed a Slavery Abolition Act in 1833, and that abolished slavery throughout the British Empire, which included Canada. There were also local laws against the slave trade as early as 1793 in what was then called Upper Canada and is now called Southern Ontario. So yeah, they were on the right side of history up in the six. Knew what they were doing. And did you like this live episode experience? Well, we are doing our next one Saturday, April 14th at UCB Sunset in Los Angeles. Our topic is the world's most bizarre origins and backstories of the world's biggest celebrities. Unbelievably crazy things about famous people who are not famous for those crazy things. Free sample of that show. Did you know future wrestler Andre the Giant spent his childhood getting driven to school by future Nobel Prize winning writer Samuel Beckett? That happened. Andre the Giant, Samuel Beckett, working together. There's more where that came from. I'll be joined on that show by comedians Matt Lieb, Jenny Jaffe, Carrie O'Donnell, and you, if you come to the show. Because as you heard on this episode, our audience members get to join in the fun on live shows. That could be you on the air right here. Tickets are on sale now at sunset.ucbtheater. That's theater with an R-E on the end, because we're fancy. Sunset.ucbtheater.com. Grab one and come hang. And as far as this episode goes, our theme music is Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band. Our episode was engineered and edited by Chris Souza. If you love this episode, that's great. If you hated it, let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media, a business that has never had a better reputation in all of history. <coughs> Cambridge Analytica. <coughs> You can find my Twitter account at alexschmitty.com. I'm also on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. And I'm happy to say we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcasts. So how about that? Talk to you then. This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.